Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 231 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. This place I had formerly urged to this purpose about communion with God, page 187, footnote number 21. See volume 2, page 164, in the present edition of John Owen's works, editor's footnote, and footnote, which Mr. Hotchkiss, in his usual manner, attempts to answer. And to omit his reviling expressions with the crude, unproved assertion of his own conceit, his answer is that by the change of raiment mentioned in the prophet, our own personal righteousness is intended. For he acknowledges that our justification before God is here represented. And so also he expounds the place produced in the confirmation of the exposition given. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 where this change of raiment is called, quote, the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness, end quote. And thereon affirms that our righteousness itself before God is our personal righteousness, page 203. That is, in our justification before him, which is the only thing in question, to all which presumptions I shall oppose only the testimony of the same prophet, which he may consider at his leisure, and which, at one time or other, he will subscribe unto. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, quote, We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. End quote. He who can make garments of salvation and robes of righteousness of these filthy rags has a skill in composing spiritual vestments that I am not acquainted with all. What remains in the chapter wherein this answer is given 
unto that testimony of Scripture, I shall take no notice of. It being, after his accustomed manner, only a perverse resting of my words unto such a sense as may seem to countenance him in casting a reproach upon myself and others. There is therefore no force in the comparing of these things unto life and death naturally, which are immediately opposed, quote, so that he who is not dead is alive, and he who is alive is not dead, end quote. There being no distinct state between that of life and death, for these things being of different natures, the comparison between them is no way argumentative. Though it may be so in things natural, it is otherwise in things moral and political, where a proper representation of justification may be taken, as it is forsnick. If it were so, that there is no difference between being acquitted of a crime at the bar of a judge and a right unto a kingdom, nor different state between these things, it would prove that there is no intermediate estate between being pardoned and having a right unto the heavenly inheritance. But this is a fond imagination. It is true that right unto eternal life does succeed unto freedom from guilt of eternal death. Quote, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified. But it does not do so out of a necessity in the nature of the things themselves, but only in the free constitution of God. Believers have the pardon of sin and an immediate right and title unto the favor of God, the adoption of sons and eternal life. But there is another state in the nature of the things themselves, and this might have been so actually had it so seemed good unto God. For who sees not that there is a status or conditio persona wherein he is neither under the guilt of condemnation nor has an immediate right and title unto glory in the way of inheritance. God might have pardoned men all their past sins and placed them in a state and condition of seeking righteousness for the future by the works of the law so that they might have lived. For this would answer the original state of Adam. But God has not done so. True, but whereas he might have done so, it is evident that the disposal of men unto this state and condition of right unto life and salvation does not depend on nor proceed from the pardon of sin, but has another cause which is the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto us, as he fulfilled the law for us. And in truth, this is the opinion of the most of our adversaries in this cause. For they do contend that over and above the remission of sin, which some of them say is absolute, without any respect unto the merit or satisfaction of Christ, others refer it unto them. They all contend that there is, moreover, a righteousness of works required unto our justification. Only, they say, this is our own incomplete, imperfect righteousness imputed unto us as if it were perfect. That is, for what it is not, 
and not the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us for what it is. From what has been discoursed, it is evident that unto our justification before God is required not only that we be freed from the damnatory sentence of the law, which we are by the pardon of sin, but moreover that the righteousness of the law be fulfilled in us, or that we have a righteousness answering the obedience that the law requires, whereon our acceptance with God through the riches of His grace and our title unto the heavenly inheritance do depend. This we have not in and of ourselves, nor can attain unto, as has been proved. Wherefore, the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ is imputed unto us, or in the sight of God we can never be justified. Nor are the cavailing objections of the Socinians and those who follow them of any force against the truth herein. They tell us, quote, that the righteousness of Christ can be imputed but unto one, if unto any. For who can suppose that the same righteousness of one should become the righteousness of many, even of all that believe? Besides, he performed not all the duties that are required of us in all our relations, he being never placed in them, end quote. These things, I say, are both foolish and impious, destructive unto the whole gospel. For all things here depend on the ordination of God. It is His ordinance that as through the offense of one many are dead, so disgrace and the gift of grace through one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many and as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men unto condemnation, so by the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all unto the righteousness of life. And by the obedience of one, many are made righteousness. As the apostle argues, Romans chapter 5, For God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 for he was the end of the law the whole end of it for righteousness unto them that do believe chapter 10 verse 4 this is the appointment of the wisdom righteousness and grace of God that the whole righteousness and obedience of Christ should be accepted as our complete righteousness before him, imputed unto us by his grace, and applied unto us, or made ours through believing, and consequently unto all that believe. And if the actual sin of Adam be imputed unto us all, who derive our nature from him, unto condemnation, though he sinned, not in our circumstances and relations, is it strange that the actual obedience of Christ should be imputed unto them who derive a spiritual nature from Him unto the justification of life? Besides, both the satisfaction and obedience of Christ as relating unto His person were, in some sense, infinite. 
that is, of an infinite value, and so cannot be considered in parts, as though one part of it were imputed unto one and another unto another, but the whole is imputed unto everyone that does believe. And if the Israelites could say that David was, quote, worth 10,000 of them, and quote, Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, we may well allow the Lord Christ, and so what he did and suffered, to be more than us all, and all that we can do and suffer. There are also sundry other mistakes that concur unto that part of the charge against the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto us, which we have now considered. I say of his righteousness, for the apostle in this case uses those words dekaioma and hupakae, righteousness and obedience, as isaduna munta, of the same signification, Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Such are these, that the remission of sin and justification are the same, or that justification consists only in the remission of sin. That faith itself, as our act and duty, seeing it is the condition of the covenant, is imputed unto us for righteousness. Or, that we have a personal inerrant righteousness of our own, that one way or other is our righteousness before God unto justification. Either a condition it is, or a disposition unto it, or as a congruity in deserving the grace of justification, or a downright merit of condignity thereof. For all these are but various expressions of the same thing, according unto the variety of the conceptions of the minds of men about it. But they have been all considered and removed in our precedent discourses. To close this argument, and our vindication of it, and therewithal to obviate an objection, I do acknowledge that our blessedness and life eternal is, in the scripture, oftentimes ascribed unto the death of Christ. But... Number one, it is so, kat ex arcane, as the principal cause of the whole, and as that without which no imputation of obedience could have justified us. But the penalty of the law was indispensably to be undergone. Number two, it is so, kata sungeneon, not exclusively unto all obedience, whereof mention is made in other places, but as that whereunto it is inseparably conjoined. Not English words, Bernard. And so it is also ascribed unto his resurrection, kat indexin, with respect unto evidence and manifestation. But the death of Christ exclusively, as unto his obedience, is nowhere asserted as the cause of eternal life, comprising that exceeding weight of glory wherewith it is accompanied. Hereunto, we have treated of and vindicated the imputation of the active obedience of Christ unto us, as the truth of it was deduced from the preceding argument about the obligation of the law of creation. I shall now briefly confirm it with other reasons and testimonies. Number one, that which Christ, the mediator and surety of the covenant, 
did do in obedience unto God in the discharge and performance of his office that he did for us. And that is imputed unto us. This has been proved already, and it has too great an evidence of truth to be denied. He was, quote, born to us, given to us, and quote, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For, quote, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, end quote. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Whatever is spoken of the grace, love, and purpose of God in sending or giving His Son, or of the love, grace, and condescension of the Son in coming and undertaking of the work of redemption designed unto Him, or of the office itself of a mediator or surety, gives testimony unto this assertion. Yea, it is the fundamental principle of the gospel and of the faith of all that truly believe. As for those by whom the divine person and satisfaction of Christ are denied, whereby they evert the whole work of his mediation, we do not at present consider them. Wherefore, what he so did is to be inquired unto. And, parentheses number one, the Lord Christ, our mediator and surety, was in his human nature made hupa naman, under the law, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that he was not so for himself, by the necessity of his condition, we have proved before. It was therefore for us. But as made under the law, he yielded obedience unto it. This, therefore, was for us, and imputed unto us. The exception of the Socinians, that it is the judicial law only that is intended, is too frivolous to be insisted on. For he was made under the law whose curse we are delivered from. And if we are delivered only from the curse of the law of Moses, wherein they contend that there was neither promises nor threatenings of eternal things, of anything beyond this present life, we are still in our sins, under the curse of the moral law, notwithstanding all that he has done for us. It is accepted with more color of sobriety that he was made under the law only as to the curse of it. But it is plain in the text that Christ was made under the law as we are under it. He was made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And if he was not made so as we are, there is no consequence from his being made under it unto our redemption from it. But we were so under the law as not only to be obnoxious unto the curse, but so as to be obliged unto all the obedience that it required, as has been proved. And if the Lord Christ has redeemed us only from the curse of it by undergoing it, leaving us to ourselves to answer its obligation unto obedience, we are not freed nor delivered. And the expression of under the law does in the first place and properly 
signified being under the obligation of it unto obedience and consequently only with respect unto the curse. Galatians chapter 4 verse 21 Tell me, you who desire to be hupa naman under the law. They did not desire to be under the curse of the law, but only its obligation unto obedience, which in all usage of speech is the first proper sense of that expression. Wherefore, the Lord Christ being made under the law for us, he yielded perfect obedience unto it for us, which is therefore imputed unto us. For that what he did was done for us depends solely on imputation. Parenthesis number two. As he was thus made under the law, so he did actually fulfill it in his obedience unto it. So, he testifies concerning himself, quote, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. End quote. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. These words of our Lord Jesus Christ, as recorded by the evangelist, the Jews continually object against the Christians as contradictory to what they pretend to be done by him, namely, that he has destroyed and taken away the law. And Maimondes, in his treatise, The Fundamentalist Leges, has made blasphemous reflections on the Lord Christ as a false prophet in this matter. But the reconciliation is plain and easy. There was a twofold law given unto the church, the moral and the ceremonial law. The first, as we have proved, is of an eternal obligation. The other was given only for a time. That the latter of these was to be taken away and abolished, the apostle proves with invincible testimonies out of the Old Testament against the obstinate Jews in his epistle unto the Hebrews. Yet was it not to be taken away without its accomplishment when it ceased of itself. Wherefore, our Lord Christ did no otherwise dissolve or destroy that law, but by the accomplishment of it. And so he did put an end unto it, as is fully declared, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. But the law, cut hexarchane, that which obliges all men unto obedience unto God always, he came not, catalusai, to destroy, that is, hafetesai, to abolish it, as an hafetesis is ascribed unto the Mosaical law. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. In the same sense is the word used, Matthew chapter 24, verse 2, Matthew chapter 26, verse 61, Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, Mark chapter 13, verse 2, Mark chapter 14, verse 58, Mark chapter 15, verse 29, Luke chapter 21, verse 6, Acts chapter 5, verse 38 and 39, Acts chapter 6, verse 14, Romans chapter 14, verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1, Galatians chapter 2 verse 18, mostly with an accusative case of the things spoken of, or katargesai, 
which the apostle denies to be done by Christ and faith in him. Romans chapter 3 verse 31. Naman un katargumen diates pisteos main genoita hala naman istomen. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Naman istanai is to confirm its obligation unto obedience, which is done by faith only with respect unto the moral law. The other being evacuated as unto any power of obliging unto obedience. This, therefore, is the law which our Lord Christ affirms that he came not to destroy. So, he expressly declares in his ensuing discourse, showing both its power of obliging us always unto obedience and giving an exposition of it. This law, the Lord Christ came, play rosai, play rosai ton naman, in the scripture is the same with hem play sai ton naman, in other writers, that is, to yield full, perfect obedience unto the commands of the law, whereby they are absolutely fulfilled. Pleirosai naman is not to make the law perfect, for it was always namas telios, a perfect law, James chapter 1 verse 25, but to yield perfect obedience unto it. The same our Savior calls Pleirosai pasan Dikai usune, Matthew chapter 3 verse 15, to fulfill all righteousness, that is, by obedience unto all God's commands and institutions, as is evident in the place. So the apostle uses the same expression, Romans chapter 8 verse 8, quote, He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law, end quote. Number two, it is a vain exception that Christ fulfilled the law by his doctrine in the exposition of it. The opposition between the words pleirosai and katalusai, to fulfill and to destroy, will admit of no such sense. And our Savior himself expounds this fulfilling of the law by doing the commands of it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 19. Wherefore, the Lord Christ as our mediator and surety fulfilling the law by yielding perfect obedience thereunto, he did it for us, and to us it is imputed. This is plainly affirmed by the Apostle, Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Quote, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. End quote. The full plea from and vindication of this testimony, I refer unto its proper place and the testimonies given unto the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto our justification in general. I shall here only observe that the Apostle expressly and in terms affirms that 
by the obedience of Christ, we are made righteous or justified, which we cannot be but by the imputation of it unto us. I have met with nothing that had the appearance of any sobriety for the eluding of this express testimony, but only that by the obedience of Christ his death and sufferings are intended, wherein he was obedient unto God. As the Apostle says, he was obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 But yet, there is herein no color of probability. For, parenthesis number one, it is acknowledged that there was such a near conjunction and alliance between the obedience of Christ and his sufferings that though they may be distinguished, yet can they not be separate. He suffered in the whole course of his obedience from the womb to the cross. And he obeyed in all his sufferings unto the last moment wherein he expired. But yet are they things really distinct as we have proved. And they were so in him who learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Parentheses number 2. In this place, Romans chapter 5. Upakae, verse 19, and Dekaioma, verse 18, are the same. Obedience and righteousness. By the righteousness of one and by the obedience of one are the same. But suffering as suffering is not Dekaioma, is not righteousness. For if it were, then everyone that suffers what is due to him should be righteous, and so be justified, even the devil himself. Parenthesis number three. The righteousness and obedience here intended are opposed. To paraptomatai to the offense, by the offense of one. But the offense intended was an actual transgression of the law. So is paraptoma, a fall from or a fall in the course of obedience. Wherefore, the dikaioma or righteousness must be an actual obedience unto the commands of the law, or the force of the apostle's reasoning and antithesis cannot be understood. Parentheses number four. Particularly, it is such an obedience as is opposed unto the disobedience of Adam. One man's disobedience, one man's obedience. But the disobedience of Adam was an actual transgression of the law, and therefore the obedience of Christ here intended was his active obedience unto the law, which is what we plead for. And I shall not at present farther pursue the argument, because the force of it and the confirmation of the truth contended for will be included in those that follow. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb 
at swrb.com. By phone at 780-450-3730. By fax at 780-468-1096. Or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, AB, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.